The holiday season is an interesting time. Some organizations unwind and operate with a skeleton staff, while others, especially in health and retail, experience the busiest time of the year. And both ends of this spectrum, either a slowdown or a super busy time, lead to favorable circumstances for attackers. And the attackers know that. It's not their first holiday season. Mobile workforces, cloud applications, and digitalization are changing every aspect of the modern enterprise. And with radical transformation come new business risks. Welcome to Hybrid Identity Protection, the premier podcast for cybersecurity pros charged with defending hybrid identity environments. Presented by Semperis, the pioneers of identity-driven cyber resilience for the hybrid enterprise. And now, here's your host, 15-time Microsoft MVP and active directory security expert, Sean Duby. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HIP podcast. Cyber Reason commissioned a survey of cybersecurity pros at organizations that were hit by a cyber attack in the last year. 89% said they expected another attack over the holidays. But of them, 36% said they have no specific contingency plan in place to mount a response. So that leads me to think and ask the question, Is your organization ready to defend against a cyber attack that hits over the holidays? Joining me today is Elad Shamir, Sempris Director of Breach Preparedness and Response. Elad has extensive experience planning and executing red team operations and knows what cyber criminals can throw at organizations during the holidays and frankly, every other day of the year. Welcome, Elad. Hey, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So we're we're coming up, as I said, we're coming up to the holidays. And what's different? What's different about the holidays than other times that gives the bad guys, the threat actors, opportunities for mischief? Yeah, the holiday season is an interesting time. Some organizations unwind and operate with a skeleton staff, while others, especially in health and retail, experience the busiest time of the year. And both ends of this spectrum, either a slowdown or a super busy time, lead to favorable circumstances for attackers. And the attackers know that. It's not their first holiday season. When there's a shutdown, you have a reduced staff at the SOC, and it may lead to them underperforming. It's also a matter of maturity. In less mature blue teams, success depends on having the right people in the right place at the right time. And if the A team is on holiday, the B team typically has a longer mean time to detect. Often, things go unnoticed until the A team returns from holiday or until something really bad happens, like a ransomware detonating in the environment. Uh, Conversely, in busy environments like retail, there's a lot of noise. The blue team gets fatigued and it is easier for attackers to blend in with the noise and get and go unnoticed. Not to mention that these organizations can't afford the downtime. So they're more likely to pay a ransom to restore operations quickly, even if it is at a surge price, making them a lucrative target. 
So you're saying it's a combination. And of course, this is classic ransomware scenarios where they want to pick the verticals, the industries, and times when they can least afford to have downtime. So, you know, this is hospitals during COVID or COVID researchers or critical pipelines, which is all the time. Or in retail, of course, the time when they're the busiest and when they hope to get most of the profits of the year added with the the possibility that they will have um, some of their key people on holiday at the same time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that makes sense. And I've, <laughs> as we're coming up to the holidays, of course, <clears throat> we are all looking at our own vacation calendars uh, and figuring out when we can take time off o- over the holidays. What about contractors? Uh, do contractors play into this in terms of A team, B team, C team, that sort of thing? Yeah, definitely. In, in many organizations, they bring in contractors to fill in the gaps when the A team is on holiday. And contractors are less familiar with the environment, less familiar with the procedures that they're expected to follow if there is an incident. And that affects not only the mean time to detect, but also the mean time to respond. And typically, they're not going to follow the best course of action. But yeah, because they're just not as familiar with the environment and who to contact and, and that sort of thing, right? Yeah. In terms of initial access, which is nowadays the, the favored, you know, we hear all sorts of stuff about very sophisticated attacks, but the, the reality is most of the attacks today are relatively moderately to unsophisticated phishing, where you get somebody to trip over an email and install some stuff. What about the sort of things that, that what's different about the holidays as far as phishing and email from say, you know, July or, or May or something like that? Yeah. So phishing is an ongoing battle. There's always a, a flood of phishing emails coming through, but the holidays introduce more phishing pretexts or at least make some pretexts seem more plausible. Anything from Secret Santa to a colleague being stuck somewhere remote and needing assistance. Another factor is that when people are super busy or their attention is elsewhere, they are more likely to fall for phishing and other types of social engineering attacks. So we typically see a lot more successful phishing attacks during the holidays. So for example, holiday messages from executive officers, gift messages potentially from colleagues, the sort of thing that is plausible enough to make in the hopes that somebody clicks on it. Is that, that's what you're you're saying? And some of these pretexts may seem fishy in July, but uh, more plausible in December. Is there anything in there about does the, the holidays... Do they change anything about cyber attacks or the way attacks are handled or the way the way one responds to cyber attacks um, and you know in terms of planning? I can tell you a bit about how the attackers approach this and why they find it a bit more interesting to execute certain attacks during the holidays. The reason is that some attacks are best executed when the targeted users are inactive. For example, suppose a certain attack requires changing a user's password or using 
a user's password to RDP into a workstation or a server. In that case, attackers prefer to execute these attacks out of hours to reduce the risk of interfering with the victim's activity and getting discovered. And the holiday season gives them a lot more time to execute these types of attacks. In some cases, they can even execute them when it would normally be business hours during the day rather than waiting for out of hours. And that may help them slip through the cracks of some anomaly detection systems. Especially in terms of behavioral analytics is the behavioral analytics would have to actually be able to recognize the fact that some employees are out of office, uh, which probably most don't actually know how to do that. So it just seems like it's a regular time of day for them, but there's, there's actually nobody there or the regular employee is not the one that's doing it. Yeah, exactly. What about, um, what about the traveling employee the, that may not be strictly taking uh, time off, but is working remotely from, you know, from uh, grandma's house or something like that and accessing it from different location, but still needing to access sensitive corporate data? Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. And it also plays into anomaly detection. So when many people uh, are accessing systems from new locations, it may interfere with anomaly detection or may lead to alert fatigue. If now the blue team all of a sudden gets a lot of alerts for access from an, from an unknown location, making it a good time for attackers to blend in with that noise and maybe go unnoticed uh, as they're trying to achieve their initial access. Right. So in, in other words, <clears throat> these detection systems would be theoretically could be getting unusual travel alerts for many employees as they're going to places that, especially given what's happened the last couple of years, they've not done much traveling. So uh, all of a sudden you get this spate of unusual travel alerts. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it may, it may affect anomaly detection or if it is picked up as an anomaly and then all of a sudden the blue team gets flooded with these alerts. Uh, they start suppressing them. Are there any extra risks in terms of these remote endpoints that the, when I say that, meaning the user's PCs on previously unknown networks or on potentially, and we're assuming that these are, well, they're either home networks or they could be <clears throat> if, they, if they've had enough relative time uh, getting escaping to a nearby Starbucks to do some work. Is there different risks associated with that? Yeah, of course. If you're in potentially a hostile network, uh, your laptop may get attacked either directly if it's not fully patched or the attacker has access to some zero day. They may gain remote access to your uh, laptop and uh, gain access to, that, to data from there. Uh, they may perform other types of network level attacks like many in the mill attacks and potentially uh, intercept passwords or other credentials or sensitive information as it goes through the wire, so to speak, but it can also be over Wi-Fi. Of course, there is the aspect of physical security. If you're in a hotel and you leave your laptop unattended, it may get stolen. If it's not, if it doesn't have full disk encryption, there's risk there. And if you leave your computer unattended at Starbucks and you go get another coffee, obviously, there's yes, someone may seize that opportunity to do something malicious on your computer as well. 
So yeah, lots of opportunities for that. And a lot more of that is obviously happening during the holidays when people are uh, traveling and are busy with many different things. It's potentially more likely to happen and more likely to go unnoticed. So vigilantly lock your screen. <laughs> What's your opinion on VPNs accessing wi- and accessing Wi-Fi networks? Is it a cure-all? Does it solve some of the problem or does it not help? It absolutely can help uh, as long as you're using a trustworthy VPN and not uh, some free VPN that uh, you found on Google. It doesn't cure all and not all traffic goes through the VPN and not all attacks are network level attacks. Uh, Also, it provides another layer of encryption between you and the VPN gateway. From the VPA gateway to wherever it is that you're connecting, it may still be exposed as it was before. Right. It's unencrypted until it enters the VPN. So whatever that means local on your PC, I would assume. And when it exits the VPN at the gateway until it gets to its destination, um, I mean, there may there may be encryption in those other channels, but it's something that to be thought of all, along the whole distance. Yeah. What about patch management and the risks associated with that uh, at the end of the year and with everything that's involved at the end of the year? Yeah, that's that's a very good point. Um, typically, there is a change freeze or change embargo in many organizations during the holidays, which is good because change, is, change has an inherent risk of something going wrong. But when it comes to security patches, any delay widens the window of opportunity for attackers to exploit zero days or to be more precise end days End days are attacks exploiting vulnerabilities that were disclosed end days ago so they're not yet they're not brand new anymore like zero days uh, but that actually makes them more dangerous because they're more likely to be discovered there's already a path a patch out there and attackers are analyzing the patches trying to, to understand what these patches are attempting to fix, and they can reverse engineer from that the vulnerability that they're supposed to uh, patch and exploit it. Yeah, it seems like patch management in the holidays, I mean, there's all, well, as unfortunately the last couple of years have told us, have pointed out to us, risk management, risk assessment, that's something that you know security people always think about, is now has become what everybody else has to think about in terms of exposure. So in the holiday season, a patch management is a risk assessment of the severity that the patch is trying to correct versus the risk of incurring instability in a production system. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And another thing that I see a lot is that Many organizations prefer to, let's say, defer installing patches for internal systems that are not internet-facing, even if the patch is considered critical. But the problem with that is that you simply don't know if there is an attacker already inside your network, inside the perimeter. We're just waiting for an opportunity to either escalate their privileges or move laterally to a critical system. So in other words, they may already be sitting 
inside your network, just waiting for an opportunity to compromise that criti- business critical system that they haven't been able to get into yet. So the, yeah, this is the assume breach mentality where it's, you can't assume that because it's inside, it's safe. Yeah, exactly. If they want to get in, they'll get in. So you're, you're in the fight whether you want to be or not. <laughs> and you can speak from that for, from experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about when people come back from the holidays? What are the risks associated with that? Oh, that's a very good uh, that's a very good question. There is a pattern that I noticed that when people come back from holidays, they tend to forget their passwords. And there's usually a surge in failed login attempts right after the holidays, making it a good time to uh, perform password spraying attacks and blend in with the noise. Also, the help desks on the first couple of days after the holiday tend to be flooded with people trying to reset their passwords. And under this pressure, they are more likely to deviate from the standard verification procedures and become susceptible to social engineering attacks. So I would say that right after the holidays, we may, let's say we were likely to see an increase in password spraying attacks. This is a time when uh, if you have, and of course, it's hard to implement these things in preparation because there's a change freeze going on, but the ability to do self-service password resets with uh, common password rejection. So that when people have to reset their password, they don't change it from fall 2021 and they change it to spring 2022 because nobody will ever would ever guess that that would be their password. We've been on a soapbox and uh, our colleague Alix was literally on a soapbox in our session that we did at the HIP conference about good security hygiene and talking about common password rejection and how that has become so important because of password spray attacks, uh, which I like to describe as brute force attacks upside down. Uh, taking a common password and hitting a lot of different accounts with it are much harder to detect and are very successful because, again, it's people has the weakest link. So to wind things up, Elad, let's talk a little bit about some, um, since we're talking about uh, AD hygiene already, what sort of action items that can could make a difference for AD hygiene? I call <laughs> AD hygiene for the holidays or maybe for every day. What would you recommend? Yeah. Well, when it comes to AD, I don't think uh, the holidays are really any different. Um, Active Directory is always a prime target for attacks during the holidays or not. Uh, both because it's an easy way to disrupt the business because, and then also because it's usually the path of least resistance to reaching business critical systems. And you can use tools like Purple Knight and Bloodhound, both free tools to identify critical misconfigurations and viable attack paths in your AD environment and tackle them before you have a security incident. Uh, a couple of the mo- most common AD issues that I've been seeing over the years is first and foremost, low privileged users with excessive delegated rights in Active Directory. We very often see a path directly from domain users or authenticated users to domain admins in just a few simple hops and you can see that in Bloodhound. Uh, another big one is 
privileged accounts, such as domain admins, used on hosts that aren't as trustworthy. For example, a domain admin shouldn't log into a workstation that is also used to browse the net and shop for Christmas. <laughs> because obviously, that workstation is more likely to get compromised. And that's actually a violation of a, an important security principle that is really violations of this principle are the root of all evil, if you ask me. And that is the clean source principle. And in a nutshell, it says that every object that you try to secure shouldn't have any security dependencies that are less, less trustworthy than this object. So in this example, you have a privileged account, domain admin, uh, with a security dependency, which is a simple workstation that is also used for browsing the net. So the workstation is a security dependency. There is a session there for that privileged account. And it's not as trustworthy as that uh, privileged account. So it's a violation of this important principle, the clean source principle. Yeah, I've heard that. And other listeners to the podcast may have also heard it as a administrative tiering. So the ad ability to have tier zero administrators, for example, that, as, as Eli just said, that administer Active Directory to never log on to a tier two systems, which are regular workstations. And students of the uh, cyber weapon, not Petya attack, will know that this is what crippled Maersk because an administrator had logged into a financial user's workstation in the, their Odessa office a few days before that workstation downloaded an update to tax software from the Ukrainian small Ukrainian company that provided the tax software that was infected with NotPetya. NotPetya downloaded to the workstation, used Mimikatz to harvest domain administrator credentials, and the game was over in minutes or even in seconds. So, yeah, very, very, very true. Yeah, we call we call that kind of attack chain the the credential shuffle it's like a dance you compromise a workstation and then you compromise other users logged into that workstation you get their credentials or their Kerberos tickets anti-hashes so on you'll use that to compromise another workstation and another logged on user and so on and so forth until you manage to find a workstation or a server that has privileged users logged into it and then it's game over and it's game over. But go forth and get yourself prepared for the holiday season. Hopefully it will be a good holiday season, not a bad holiday season. And uh, we will talk to you in 2022. Thanks very much, Elad. I hope you have a great holidays. And I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us on the Hybrid Identity Protection Podcast with Sean Doobie. Be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Visit hipconf.com, that's H-I-P-C-O-N-F.com to learn about upcoming events, view expert presentations, and take part in the conversation.